0: Time is it? It's the Bible time. It is time to Bible. Welcome back to the Non-Believer Bible Club. Today's episode is episode 20. I've done this 10 times, twice. And many, many, many more times before we're done. Twenty episodes has brought us to the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. Before we begin, I want to talk about something that makes Moses different than everyone who's come before let's start with noah noah is given this journey this task by god an unbelievable task he says i'm going to kill everything on the planet with a great flood um build a ship put some animals on it so that you survive he's like holy shit how do i do that god's like well (laughs) here's some notes god gives him measurements Next guy, Abraham. God says to Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation. And then he makes him wait like 30, 40 years. Like Sarah, yeah, you'll have a kid, but you're going to be 100. This guy's wandering the desert, walking from place to place with his group and all of his cattle. He has no idea when this is going to happen. He just starts to freak out every single day. And in the intervening time between, he has to tell himself, God is with me. I believe in God. God hasn't showed me anything yet, but I got to believe in him. These guys have to have some hard faith. Then we get Moses. God comes down. He says, hey, I need you to free the people of Israel. Not in a hundred years. I need you to do it right now. Also, here's some stuff. Here's a cool changing stick. You can cure leprosy as like a gimmick. (laughs) He even tells him his name, kind of. I am that I am. So Moses' mission is immediate, it's clear, and best of all, he's not being left to his own devices. God is giving him, (laughs) he's given him some really cool toys to play with in order to accomplish this mission. And this is what makes Moses different than every patriarch who came before him. Moses says, No. Moses and God have a conversation, and in five different ways, Moses says, Nah, I can't do this. It's not me. These are known as the five excuses of Moses. Doing a little research to see how this is perceived in the Christian community. I see this used to teach a lesson when you feel like you have to do something and you don't want to. Hey, remember Moses also did this. So it's, there's, you know, they use it to teach. Remember, God has a plan. And if you resist, it's not going to work out for you. Now, rabbinical Judaism has put the lifespan of Moses to be about 1391 to 1271 BC or they would say BCE for obvious Jesus reasons. So, what are five ways in which a 13 to 12 hundreds BC year old guy resists a call to action from an omnipotent divine being? The five excuses of Moses. Exodus 3.11 And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So excuse one. Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? Basically, I (laughs) can... I can't be the guy to do this. Who am I? I'm nobody. Find somebody else. So in the modern Christian view, when you have self-doubt, or you don't have self-worth, although that's going to become a theme as we continue on. Exodus 3.13 And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall see to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Excuse too, I don't know enough. Moses says, if I am to tell people that I have seen God and I don't even know the name of him, they'll see me for who I see myself that to be, some guy that doesn't know anything. And God responds, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, but, but wait, there's more. They will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Excuse 3. People won't believe me. Well, not with that attitude. It's at this point I realize now that God actually starts to give him shit. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, I suppose. Or I should say the unsure wheel gets the coaxing and magical gifts. That's the thing people say. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Cast it down, turns into a snake. That's cool. Verse 6. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. He puts it in, he takes it out, he can cure leprosy. And, verse 9, and it shall come to pass. If they will not believe also these two signs, you gave them two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. God is hooking it up with some serious miracles that Charleston Heston will recreate in a fantastic movie. But we're still only three excuses in. Exodus 4.10 And Moses said unto the Lord, O my lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. So, not recently, not lately, and not before. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Excuse for I don't possess the necessary skills. In the original Hebrew, scholars take this to also be a confession of Moses being a stammerer, that he had. A speech impediment. So he's saying, I can't even talk regularly to people that I know. Honestly, I get that. That's a <laughs> that's the only excuse that I I guess I support. Although he could also just be referring to the Hebrew language. You're talking about a guy who was raised as an Egyptian, and then he hasn't even been in Egypt for a while. He's been speaking what to a bunch of people in a separate land, Hebrew esque? Who knows what language he's speaking? with his wife Zippera, who's a Levite, yeah? It's sort of the classic comeback story. Like the movie where the guy's band broke up, and he's like, yeah, we need you guys to come back and rock like I remember you can. And he's like, no, that was a previous life. Is this a real movie? It was either that or like Rambo or something. Eleven, and the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Hath not I, the Lord? Yeah. I know who you are. I made you. I know who I'm asking. So, when all else fails, Moses throws in the best excuse of all. Verse 13 And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. In other words, send the other guy that you are going to send. Send whoever it is that you will send, not me. In other words, I'm not going to fucking do it. Moses has put up a good fight, but at this point, the conversation is over. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. Also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thee in thy mouth. And you're going to do what I fucking said, so now you have no excuses. This is hilarious (laughs) when you uh, take it in this context and you really pay attention to the back and forth that has to happen before Moses finally says, okay, I'll do it. There isn't anything like this in the Bible so far. It's this uh, remix quality that I've come to really enjoy. We see the same sorts of things happen. God reaching out to man, man responding, goes on a great quest. The same thing happens, but Moses is of a different breed which was something I wasn't expecting. I didn't know anything about this. I just remember, of course, I keep saying Charleston Heston with his arms wide, parting the Red Sea. So it looks like we still got a long way before we see that kind of Moses. But the fact that he starts out here is uh, interesting. This is a guy who needs to be coaxed into the hero role. So Moses accepts his mission. But then immediately after this, God tries to kill him, like actually kill him in an inn. I really appreciate the Harold Bloom idea that whoever wrote the Bible is just laughing to themselves as they're doing it. The author of this part of Exodus and of the major parts of Genesis, whom he calls the Yahwist or J writer, and then also infers is a woman. He labels as a great ironist, using Moses to communicate the idea that God cannot be understood. He can strike back against the at any time, for any reason. And we are hopelessly, even humorously unprepared to deal with an entity like this. The greatest Christian apologist line of all time, God works in mysterious ways. So, if God calls upon you, you (laughs) listen to him, don't argue, and hope that he's in a good mood that day. All of that aside, I think it's worth noting that all the excuses that Moses gives of the five seem to be rooted in a self-deficiency, or a self-perceived deficiency. He is not self-confident, or he expects better of himself to be worthy of such a calling. So, the lesson? Worry less about understanding God. Understand yourself. That should set you on the right path. Now, you have no excuses not to join with me, as shit starts to get real. In Egypt. Oh, we're starting good this time, folks. The plague of water turned to blood. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. He refuseth. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come and the rod which was turned to a serpent, shall thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. This sounds like a mob hit. Hey, come on, man. You knew this was coming. You knew this was coming, Pete. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know, I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe, loth, that's, that's L-O-T-H-E, so it's loath, but it's like loth to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Woe! There's a twist. He's like, do and say all these things and then give it to Aaron and then he's going to do the cool shit. That's what he gets. So that's cool. So Aaron's the one who actually puts the rod into the river. I kind of like this. They're two brothers working together. Two brothers. Moses is depicted singularly a lot, but it's just nice to know that he had some help from someone close that he trusted. Second note, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So you can't just say, well, something happened in the river. A bunch of fish died or killed each other, or there's a kind of red algae. That's why it looks like there's blood in the river. Then how did it get into the vessels? Nice. That's very neat. Eyes dotted, T's crossed. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died and the river stank and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the lands of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled. After that, the Lord had smitten the river. Chapter 8 And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, Behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. (laughs) What are you going to do when frogs show up? Which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, ooh, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. So if there's three places Egyptians don't want frogs, it's in their bedchamber, it's in their ovens, <laughs> and their kneading troughs. Oh yeah, he's hitting all the points. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. And the Lord Spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up, and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments, and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. So this is a very interesting statement. This is the second time this has come up, and the magicians did so with their enchantments. So they're not trying to fix it. It looks like they're adding to it. Looking at my plethora of online Bible commentaries, in Ellicott's commentary for English readers, the magicians did so. It cannot be concluded from this that the magicians had the power of creating frogs. All that the writer means to express is that they seemed to Pharaoh And to the court to do on a small scale what Moses and Aaron had done on the largest possible scale. The means which they employed was probably sleight of hand. (laughs) It has been well observed that they would have shown their own power and the power of their gods far more satisfactorily had they succeeded in taking the frogs away. Agreed in the Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges. The magicians do the same with their arts. Okay, so. What this is looking like is instead of taking the frogs away, which would be a real show of power, they're showing, oh, we can create frogs too, so to speak. What's happening here is that the Pharaoh isn't looking for a solution. Or if he is, the the magicians are not responding with a solution. They're trying to undermine the validity of the miracle of the plague by saying, hey, I can kind of, I can make a frog. Look, here's a frog. I made, I made that. So Pharaoh is looking for more excuses to harden his heart and to not take this all seriously. Again, that's a great reference to Satan. Maybe not a direct reference, but at least as far as it's characterized, with Satan only being able to recreate on a lesser scale or imitate on a very surface level the acts of God. So I guess this could be seen to be somewhat of a satanic act on the part of the magicians. Page turn. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. (laughs) And I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Wow, the frogs did it, huh? And Moses said unto Pharaoh. Okay, so what this also means is that he didn't buy the magician shit. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee? And for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy house, that they may remain in the river only. And he said, To morrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Whoa, whoa. That is that the first time I've ever, I think that's the first time I've ever seen and God did according to the word of some guy. I mean, notwithstanding, God's the one who set all this into motion and God is doing, or Moses is doing exactly what God told him to do. But that's just a crazy sentence. If I'm wrong, I'll do some research later. But I believe that's the first time I've seen. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. At least uh, since Abraham, that seemed a little more bartery. He says, okay, but if there's like five people in Sodom, will you destroy it? And he's like, eh, maybe. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, (laughs) You know the deal now. Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. (laughs) They can make frogs, but they can't make lice they're not at that level yet. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, That they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy house. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end, thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. In the midst of the earth, in the midst of the waters, God is the real deal. I'm really enjoying these conditions too. I will make all of the river turn into blood and whatever's in your pots just to show that I'm God. There will be a swarm of flies, but not in Goshen, because that's where my people are. It's the specificity. Specificity is where you get them. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. That's tomorrow as two, and then there's a space, morrow. Tomorrow. Some say that this is where the word tomorrow comes from. (laughs) And the Lord did so. And there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron, and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, Shall we sacrifice the abominations of the Egyptians before their eyes and will they not stone us? Back to Ellicott's for just a second. The Israelites would have to, quote, sacrifice the abominations, the abomination of the Egyptians, i.e. animals of which the Egyptians abominated the killing. And if they did this in the presence of the Egyptians a riot would be certain to break out. Perhaps a civil war would ensue. The animal worship of the Egyptians is a certain and generally recognized fact. I see. It seemed to the Greeks and Romans the most striking characteristic of the Egyptian reliction. Egyptian reliction. (laughs) The sacrificial animals of the Hebrews, sheep, goats, and cattle, were all of them sacred animals, either to the Egyptians generally or to the inhabitants of certain districts. Okay, I see. So the pharaoh is saying, okay, sure, make your sacrifices, do whatever you got to do. And he's like, yeah, we got to do that in, at, in our place, which you will let my people go to. Let my people go. The way Pharaoh's trying to skirt around these rules is cracking me up. Verse 27 We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. <laughs> really testing the boundaries. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people, to morrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the world, to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. There remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go, you rat bastard. So this kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of repetitions. And uh, I don't know if I've discussed this on the podcast before. I probably have. But there is an idea that, let's say, for the more mythological characters like Abraham, for instance. Some say we can't necessarily prove. Well, there's some people who are like, we can definitely prove everything in the Bible um, through faith. And there's other people who say Abraham wasn't one guy. it was probably like a tribe of people and like the tribe of Abraham. So it's like, there's an idea that everything that we get the singular of is a metaphorical whole. And I kind of like that. And um, it's because I only see that through repetition do you, Ever get anything done. Uh, in the last episode, I mentioned Le Mort d'Arthur, which is a uh, French retelling of the popular Arthur legends of the time written by Sir Thomas Mallory. Because of its organization and uh, treatment of the subject, it's today known, it's one of the most widely quoted or sourced works of Arthurian legend. But anyway, in Le Mort d'Arthur, we know the story of the young Arthur having to pull the sword out of the stone, that shows that he is destined to become the king of the Britons. But what you might not know is that the lords initially refused him and refused this, his destiny to become the king. They're like, uh, no, I didn't see it. So he has to put the sword in the stone and then re-pull it out. And he does this about six times in front of six different crowds in order to prove without a doubt that he is the one. So I'm reminded of that. Pharaoh refuses many times, and he has to be proven wrong over and over and over again before we're going to get any result, certainly. And then there's, of course, the metaphorical quasi-mystical meaning. Um, Whenever you see anything throughout human history, we have a tendency to reduce things to the singular so that we can understand it. So within the one, don't be surprised that there may be many. I just think that's hilarious, the image of, hey, put it back in. It's the way pull it out. And this was like over like weeks or something. It was a long time. Anyway, chapter nine. Then the Lord said unto Moses, go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go and wilt hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord Is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine. First of all, I like how the animals that are now being threatened with death are the ones that we now know the Egyptians worshipped. So if the Hebrews can't kill these animals in the sight of the Egyptians, God's like, yeah, I'll do it. Test me. Mm. I had to look this up. So the word murrain. Murin. Oh, murrain. <laughs> That's the... I don't know if you can hear the uh, the pronunciation lady from Google. Murrain. Murin. Murin. A murrain, M-U-R-R-A-I-N, is an infectious disease, especially... By, babesiosis affecting cattle or other animals or archaic meaning a plague epidemic or crop blight don't you aren't you glad you don't live in a time where we have to worry about crop blights unless you're a farmer i don't know i don't know who listens to this bottom line a lot of animals are going to die and the lord shall sever between the cattle of israel and the cattle of egypt and there shall nothing die Of all that it that is the childrens of Israel, and the Lord. (laughs) It's always hard for me to say these kind of words out of order per the King James version. It's like advanced Yoda speak. And there shall nothing die of all that is the childrens of Israel, and the Lord appointed a set time, saying, "Tomorrow, the Lord shall do this thing in the land," and the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened still, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes, Of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And the use of the word blain, noun, rare, an inflamed swelling or sore on the skin, a Blaine. interesting and they took ashes of the furnace and stood before pharaoh and moses sprinkled it up toward heaven and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast and the magicians could not stand before moses because of the boils for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the egyptians <laughs> The magicians went for uh, from being like, yeah, I, I can, I can kind of make a frog to, ah, the boils, the blains. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. And the Lord said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning, <laughs> you know what time it is, and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews. I love the messaging. It's so no wonder this is what people remember the most from this story. Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. None like me. I like that. Not God or man, but specifically talking to the Egyptians. You think you have your gods. I'm sure they're great. They ain't like me. For now I will stretch out my hand, that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to shew in thee my power. and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Now, this could have many interpretations. I'm thinking of the word to stand. Um, I saw that as I have allowed you to become great, and at times I've hardened your heart. I'll basically, I've set you up to fall so that I can show you and I can show everyone my power, which may be a little more of a pessimist interpretation. Looking at Ellicott's, and in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, rather, but truly on this account have I made thee stand, i.e. kept thee alive, not for thy deserts, not even in pity, but only for to show in thee my power. Thou hast provoked me so long, so that long since thou wouldest have been cut off from the earth, only that my glory will be the more shown forth by thy continuance in life. And by the further plagues and punishments, whereto thou wilt be subjected. <clears throat> wow. Only that my glory will be the more shown forth by thy continuance. <laughs> you only live because I let you live. Um. Another interesting point is the Hebrew translation of uh, the one bit. Let's see. Ah. So but I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might display coming from the Hebrew word to see. So it's not just that he wants to show. He wants people to see. He wants Pharaoh to see. He wants it to be seen. Who he is. Or she. Or it. Or. Huh? As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people. ...that thou wilt not let them go. Behold, tomorrow, about this time... (laughs) God can be very specific and he can be very vague what he wants. About this time... I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail... ...such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof... ...even until now. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. He he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth, thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire that ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field, and brake every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. If you remember, that's where Joseph sent his uh, family to live, in Goshen, right? I believe so. So the Israelites are still there. And uh, while the fiery hail is hailing down Sodom and Gomorrah style on Egypt, people in Goshen are doing just fine. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. (laughs) The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Ah, I've sinned this time. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough, that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. And the flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was bald. B-O-L-L-E-D But the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. And the thunders and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. And here we shall end our reading for today. I like spending a lot of time on these earlier plagues. The earlier, more lighthearted plagues. Like frogs and flies. But you know, if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, <laughs> the worst is yet to come. So, what to think about our reading today. There is a Japanese film by Akira Kurosawa called Ikiru. And in this movie, the, the film begins with This old bureaucrat, he works in some kind of middling governmental, like local government office, and he just does paperwork all day. His life doesn't really mean anything. The papers stack up, and he does his work. But he is not alive. He's described as being like a mummy, because he's wrapped up in paper. Go figure. The movie opens, and then he receives the news from his doctor that he's dying of liver cancer. And this causes a change in him. Throughout the movie, we get to see the effect that this one man has on a bunch of people. There's a point in the movie where he's able to inspire most all of his co-workers. And they're able to embrace life. They're able to see what you can do when you start working for other people instead of just yourself. And one of them says this line, That I will never forget, he says, as they look at each other and they're crying and they're emotional, and he says, never forget this feeling. And then the very next fucking day, they just go back to work. They do the same thing that they've always been doing. (laughs) That's Pharaoh. I understand. Finally, after all this time, I understand what I've done wrong. I'm truly evil. Now, at the very end, I will change. (laughs) <laughs> and then his heart hardens again. He's like, mm, ah, you, you know what? You know what? Maybe I had a little bit too much wine last night. And that seems to be the lesson, at least for humanity, that I've seen in the Bible. It's one of our greatest failings. Um, I was talking about the sins of peacetime, how things start to get real lax when there aren't these crusaders or th- there aren't these... You know, they they ain't these spicy boys to come make uh, life a little bit less bland when there isn't a Joseph and everybody's forgotten about him, when there isn't a, a Jacob. And now we see Moses, a man who didn't even think that he had it in him. But what is he doing? Going against the status quo, seeing the injustice and calling it out. And humanity, you could say, the pharaoh, is fighting him every step of the way, and I say humanity because I think it's too easy to be like, "Ha, I'm fucking Moses. Of course I'm Moses, or, or I'm Aaron. I guess I'm putting the the rod in the water. I'm 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 awesome. God is talking to me. That is <laughs> that's who I am. So like when people see, that, that's why I hate modern Hollywood movies because they just pander to the audience way too much." People want to act like they're Peter Parker from Spider-Man 2. But we're not We're not Spider-Man. I was going to say, we're not even the Green Goblin. People are like when... In Spider-Man 2, when, when Peter, he like drops some books or something, and then like two to three people hit him in the head with their backpacks as they walk by. Like, that's what people are. The important thing to learn about this is... Well, I mean, there's a lot of things to learn, and you don't have to just choose one thing, but... I feel like the spiciest lesson is the best. You can feel like you're hot shit, but when it comes down to it, the natural state of people seems to be to, ow, cry out in pain, I'm sorry, threaten change, and then forget, do the same thing that they've been doing. If there's anything that I like about this story is that it shows not that the consequences get worse and worse, but that the ability for humans to tolerate worse and worse conditions with increasing amounts of denial per amount of realization that you suck (laughs) really knows no bounds. So, next week, we're going to see the result of all of this denial from Pharaoh. But when we see what happens next, most of you already know. If you can, celebrate in the triumph of good. But also recognize that there's a shitty little procrastinator in us all. And it may take one or two or three or six times to pull the sword out of the stone to show yourself what you need to do. But don't give up. He's a mean bastard. But he can be humbled. Just don't make excuses. And don't forget that he exists. That's enough for today. Creep on, my little creeping things. We're about five, six days to Christmas. (laughs) Oh, I didn't realize this. Christmas is actually going to fall on Saturday. So the Sunday that I post will be the day after Christmas. Y'all have a great Christmas. I'll see you next time. Adios.